1: Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast.
0: Welcome. We got an incredible guest, longtime friend, uh, former sponsor of mine. What? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, just a pioneer in the footwear industry, uh, all around great dude, JK Jeff Kelly. Welcome. Wow.
1: Well, before we uh, dive into all your successes, let's start at the very beginning and uh, tell us where you came from and and how you got into surfing.
2: I grew up in Fountain Valley.
0: Fountain Valley? Uh, Oh yeah, FV. (laughs) We know that. But but then I
2: turned 18, I moved to Huntington. Um, Anyway, yeah, I grew up in Fountain Valley. Um, I had a buddy whose older brother was a surfer. And he used to take us down to the beach and get in the water. So for Christmas in seventh grade, my parents bought me a surfboard from uh, back in the day, the I- inter-island surf shop in Huntington Beach. And believe it or not, Boba actually sold me my first board when I was uh, what? Boba Yeah, I didn't even nice. know anything about surfing. <laughs> Bobaloo. So,
1: did Did you go straight into surfing or were you boogie boarding?
2: Um, I did a little bit of kneeboarding in Seal Beach when uh, when I was a kid. My parents both worked, so they dropped me off at my uncle's house. He was a teacher, so he was off in the summers, and he had an El Pipo kneeboard with two rope handles on it that I used to <laughs> take down and uh, and kill myself in the shore break at Seal Beach when I was a grom. Yeah,
1: Seal is a good uh, a, a good place to, to learn for sure. Ray
0: Bay.
2: Ray oh, Bay, yeah. watch out for those guys. It wasn't Ray it, Bay back then,
1: though. It wasn't that bad. Not it's like way worse now than it's ever ever was.
2: Oh yeah, no, what it's what crazy.
1: Remember. So, huh. so El Pipo was your first. So you <laughs> kneeboarded first.
2: Yeah, yeah. I okay. had a, had some pins, and uh, so I got into you know learning to time and catch the waves a little easier that way. It was a, it was. More fun than getting a rash with the the rubber rafts you'd rented, Jack's on the beach in Huntington. And
0: <laughs> hey, you got to start somewhere, you know. I was on a Mach seven seven, then a Mach ten. You know, added the handle and yeah. then the fins.
1: You got your body on a boogie. I got my body on a boogie.
2: <laughs> uh, so what was yeah, your first you, like real surfboard? It was like, a five surfboard. ten um, glass uh, single fin. Single. And by, by the way, back then there were no leashes, so when you fell, you had to swim to shore. Um, it was a res- light blue resin tint, and I uh, loved that board. So fun. Who shaped it? I can't even remember who shaped it. Where, what
1: what what, uh, what shop did you buy it from?
2: It was called Inner Island Surf oh, Inner Island. the board was actually called Inner Island. I think um, it was right next door to Infinity. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, back in the day. Right, kind of by Eldon Liquor there.
1: Yeah,
2: yep. And, and then, Eldon uh, still there. Started hanging out in Huntington. Uh, as a kid, I'd get dropped off there by uh, my buddy Mark Peter's mom would pick me up and drop Mark and I off at the pier, and we'd surf every day uh, on the inside, the first tee, because the big guys wouldn't let you catch waves on the outside. It so. was. <laughs> it was a lot different
1: back then, huh? There oh, was a, man. there was a definitive pecking order.
2: Oh, yeah. I was uh, surfing with the Livingstons and Bobby Bruchel, who now lives in Del Mar, too. Okay. just saw this morning. Um, we'd be surfing the first tee, and I remember Rodney and Roger Bobby would show up, and they'd rip his lunch open, because we'd all leave our lunches under the lifeguard tower, and the seagulls would always eat Bobby's lunch and could never figure out why. <laughs> <laughs> we would surf the north side. And yeah. Probably. And on goofy foot. So I migrated over to the south side later when uh, we got into high school and we had the, the competitive surfing started. So we were the Lake Street boys back in the day when it was called Lake Street. Yeah. Or Jack, Jack in the Box. So our whole crew ended up hanging over there.
1: That's funny. Um, and they used to have like mini surf clubs back then, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think PT is responsible for starting all that. Uh, when, when he came over, I was a kid growing up in FV, and my, one of my best friends was Troy Bishop, who um, you guys know Troy. But, yeah. I uh, haven't seen Troy's him in a sister. while. Yeah. He's a Southside yep. fixture. He's still around?
0: I, I see him down there all the time.
2: So PT shows up and uh, as a bronze dossier with Mark Warren and Ian Carnes and Shane Haran, and they're wearing matching gold sweatsuits. and. We're these <laughs> young, dumb, long-haired, hippie kids, you know, surfing. We're like, these guys are dorks, but they're real. <laughs> Hey, you got to have a stick, right? You got to
1: have a look. We had PT on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Dude, that guy is such a legend. He, he's done so much for for surfing globally,
2: right? I would literally not be here having this conversation with you guys if it wasn't for him. Wow. wow. We'll, we'll get into shy. that story. Look at that guy. Is that Jerry Lopez? Yeah, that was a month or so ago down in the East Cape of Mexico where I'm spending half my time now. Dude. <laughs> oh, and, and then our other HB boy, Fountain Valley boy, Hurley. Yeah. Nice. There's a lot of uh,
1: a lot of dudes that came out of Fountain Valley, huh? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. We just had Hurley down to um, speak. We, we bring guys down occasionally just to tell their story to a group of – you know, startup guys and entrepreneurs down here in San Diego just to keep things going. Yeah. It's cool. awesome. <laughs> uh, gracious enough to come down and tell the story to us last month.
0: Oh, uh, he's got an epic story. We, we, we've been wanting to get him on the show, too. Yeah. It's going to happen.
1: I saw him yeah. in the parking lot and he said, he you know, he was going to put a muzzle on himself for a while there. It was right after, uh, you know, it went to the licensees and stuff, so yeah. hopefully, hopefully we'll get him on the show soon. But the show is about JK. JK. So tell us about, uh, you started telling us about your early surfing career, or surfing days. Did you ever get into like surfing
2: competition or? Well, when uh, Town and actually organized the high school surf teams um, when I was in high school. And I think I was a sophomore when uh, surfing became a real sport, believe it or not. And uh, so I, I made the surf team in Fountain Valley, and we'd have surf classes in the morning. And I remember uh, our team would, would go meet at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning. We'd surf, and then we'd go over to the driftwood where uh, all the yes. girls are now. And <laughs> have, uh, like, a $1.99 for pancakes and eggs and sit by the fire. They the, had gr- the, the grinder. Place. The grinder. <laughs> the grinder, <laughs> Next
0: to the fireplace
2: <sighs> in the old but rocks. I, I was never really, like, you know, one of the top guys, but was part of the – know, the crew with, with our guys over there at Fountain Valley, and Huntington always had the dominant team, but uh, we were all homies anyway, so it was all, it was all in good fun. Nice, nice. What, what,
0: what surf shop, like, I mean, Huntington on Main Street had, you know, a couple dozen
2: surf shops at that time. Like, where, where were you and your crew hanging out? So, mostly Infinity with, yep. you know, Dwight Dunn and Brian Taylor back in the day, but we'd go over to George's to Jan's Health Bar and get a Nishi with cheese. Nice and, uh, and some some a chips, you know, whatever five bucks you could you could make last the entire day. Uh, but so, that was kind of kind of the rotation was George's and mostly Infinity. So awesome. so Brian Taylor, that's
1: uh, he's a goofy footer, right? And he, he became an accountant. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He was my CPA for years. I love yep. that guy. And he's a good guy. What man. a small world. Yeah. And- <laughs> Double D, man. I can't believe he's got a, a a long, rich history in the Huntington
0: Beach surf shop scene, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Dw- Dwight lives, uh, I don't know, like a block away. Around the block from me, right? Yeah, like a few houses down. So,
1: JK, so you weren't a big competitive surfer. Did, you, did What was your first, uh, like, job? What, what did you do for, for your first job? Uh,
2: First job was I was a busboy at Sambo's in Fountain Valley when I was uh, 15 and a half now so I could buy a moped to get to and from the beach. <laughs> what the kind moped. of moped did you have? A motovicon, orange one with a surf rack.
0: Nice. <laughs> did, did, they, did they sell racks or is it all custom, DYI?
2: Yeah, we used to bend metal and, and uh, just bolt them to the, to the um, mopeds and get to and from because, you know, from Fountain Valley it was a little bit of a haul. But we'd get up at four thirty in the morning when I was um, a, a kid, and ride down, surf, and be back at school. Yeah. No problem. That's awesome. Did, did the mopeds.
0: Did you have to have a license or just a permit? Like didn't back, back then? then. Nothing, right? Yeah. Because of pedal power? Yeah.
1: I had I had a moped for a second, but it was a crappy one. It fell <laughs> apart. Peugeot. Remember the Peugeots? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep. Larry, you're a little too young for those. No, I I had a I had a uh, scooter. It was a hand me down for my brother, and I uh, actually it was a red. I don't know what Honda or Yamaha or something. And uh, I actually would drive it to the beach, or you know, ride it to the beach and to school. And I actually got pulled over before I had my license and talked my way out of a ticket somehow.
1: Well, you were cute. You're probably really cute.
2: <laughs> Sorry, sir. Sorry, officer.
0: I, I looked twelve. 12- and I flew through a stop sign because I was, I went home for lunch at high school I think as a ninth grade and and, and uh, the guy's like you know why I pulled you over and I'm like no he's like you didn't stop at the stop sign I'm like well I'm late to class <laughs> he's all where's your license I'm all, I, I don't have one <laughs>
1: so, something happened no man yeah the dog ate it so Jk what uh what was your first surf trip uh,
2: my first. Surf trip was probably in 8th grade. Um, we used to call Troy's dad, Mr. B, Mr. Bishop. He loaded uh, a bunch of us in the back of his orange El Camino and drove us down to Swami's. Um, and I remember being in the back of the, his truck in a sleeping bag, holding the <laughs> surfboards from blowing out. Me, and, me and, and another buddy of mine. And then there was two other guys in the front seat with him. But we, we had to sit in the sleeping bags in the back, back in the day when seatbelts weren't a law. Dude, how crazy
1: was that back in the day when, when, when you could just sit in the back of a flatbed truck not flatbed but truck, you wouldn't have to wear seat belts and, yeah. and people used to be able to drink like one or two beers. <laughs> one or two. Yeah. Maybe more. <laughs> but it wasn't uh it wasn't so gnarly back then.
2: Nah, that was that was probably the first surf trip I remember. And then, you know, when we started driving we were We were in Mexico every weekend surfing, so. Oh, man. The glory days, huh?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of good days going down south of the border, just
2: empty lineups all day. Yeah, we'd camp at K-38 when it was just a dirt field. 38s, 55s, La Fonda. Nice. And nobody would be out. You'd be out there by yourself with your buddies.
1: Good old days. So you went to uh, Fountain Valley High School? Yep. And then after that, you went to college, right?
2: I never went to college. No? No.
1: Nope. Man, I, I thought for sure you were a college guy with no, all the successes moved, that you've had.
2: I moved to, uh, to Huntington when I was 18 and uh, was working in a cabinet shop and then um, built some boats over at McGregor Yachts for a while and just, you know, was doing, built some patio covers with. Uh, some roommates of mine, the Dietz brothers, um, just kept busy that way. And then um, in uh, the '80s, I uh, I got into the surf industry when I started a trap top. You guys remember that stuff? Yes, sir. I sure yeah. do.
1: <laughs> that Me? was
2: a that was a funny one because I I didn't know what I was going to do. I went and got my real estate license, and then um, I was messing around with different traction materials because I didn't like wax. And I I came up with um, the original peel-and-stick traction pad, and I called PT, and I said, what do you think I should do? Should I try making a business out of this, or should I just do real estate? And Towning goes, well, you've got your real estate license. You can always fall back on that. Why don't I call a buddy of mine on the East Coast and see if he'd be interested in distributing your traction pads for you?
1: You're kidding uh, me.
2: No, so he calls Pete Dooley, who owned Natural Art with at the time, he dominated the East Coast. I yeah. flew back there with a boatload of traction pads and followed his delivery van up the East Coast. And every single store I went into bought the pad. <laughs> so wow. that's how it started. Where did you uh, Where did you get the material from? Like what so, that's you... a funny story because um, we all know Bud Lomas, Huntington legend. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bud was like my uh, trial monkey. I'd find all kinds of different materials. Carpet padding was one of them, and I was using contact cement to stick them on his board and my board. And we'd try them and then if it didn't work, it was like a nightmare getting the stuff off. So there was a place in the city of commerce that had uh, all kinds of raw materials, like rubber materials and things. And I went out there and I found EVA, which is a plastic flap that they use in running shoes. And um, it worked. So the next thing was figuring out how I was gonna be able to do this in production. So I got the Yellow Pages out, because this is before internet. And I called 3M and they sent a chemist out I was living right behind Taco Bell on 9th Street in those blue apartments. And the guy comes out and he's like, "Well, what are you trying to do here, son?" Wait, <laughs> like, you called I 3M and yeah. they sent somebody to you?
1: Unbelievable, right? That is,
2: <laughs> I don't, I don't get, get it. Well, well, got,
1: <laughs> what did you the tell
2: them? Goes, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. What happened was, the guy comes out and he goes, "You're trying to stick this to what?" And so I gave him a broken surfboard. He took the back. He goes, "Let me take this to the lab and see what we can come up with." So. He, they invented that, uh, the traction, the the peel-and-stick material for me. He brought me a roll of wax paper. It was like four feet long, so I built a four-by-eight table with two-by-fours and then a dowel. Stuck it on there like a roll of toilet paper and pull it off, cut it with a razor blade would fall onto the table with the glue side up. Then I'd put the sheets of EVA on it with a wallpaper seam roller, push it so... (laughs) My knife, which was a, a die, which is an upside-down blade, and put it underneath, and with a rawhide hammer, hammer the edges, and would cut these pads out, and wow. peel them, stick them on, and it worked perfect. And I was like, "Oh shit, this stuff works!" But there's no way Three M is going to keep making this for me. Yeah. So I called the guy back, and he goes, "Yeah, just give us two weeks before you need it, so we can you know, have enough time to make it, and we'll, we'll make what you need." And I was like, "Why would you do this? I'm a grom in the garage by myself." How old were you? You know. Uh, what was I 24 or something like that? In what year? What was that? 84, I think. Wow.
0: So
1: he, he goes, was, hey. was there any other brands out there yet or? Yeah,
2: AstroDeck was making a liquid that you poured on your board, you tape off your rail and then you put salt in it and then when it dries, you hose it out and made little bubbles and I used that and it worked really good but it gave me a rash that turned into a crater so I had to peel it off. That's when I started messing around with other materials because I, I liked it better than wax, but the Astrodeck was killing me. So so, so wait a minute.
1: JK, you are the original guy that made the peel and stick uh, grip tape or uh, grip for boards?
2: Yeah, which became the standard later. Yeah.
1: Um, You're the one that three, came up with the, the, the first to market that?
2: As far as I know, yeah. Wow. That,
1: that is
0: insane.
1: That is insane. You're welcome, everybody, in the whole freaking planet. <laughs>
2: the, the, bigger, the bigger invention at the time was the arch bar, like I was a year <laughs> into it. And then we took some of our material, we sanded down these bars. Me and Scott McCrannels from Florida. From yeah, I'm big big red I dude. Yeah, and we stuck those on the stringer. And they the, the lateral traction that you get, we went and surfed river jetties. We had one on front and back at the time. The lateral traction by having that thing fill your arch versus a flat surface was a game changer, and we knew right away we were on to something big. Yeah. So I remember I got a patent on that and then went to my first um, trade show when the OP was at the pier, and Tom Curran, Tom Carroll, um, Barton Lynch, like all those guys were cruising the show, and I gave all of them arch bars, and then I went to the contest that weekend and they were all using them. That is crazy. crazy.
1: I, was I can't believe <laughs> that you were the first peel and stick grip for surfboards. That's insane, that
2: is huge. Well, thanks to 3M. And, yeah. Um, and you know, the guy I called, the guy, the lab, and I was like, well, "Why would you keep doing this?" And he told me, he "Goes, we have a, a, a division dedicated to helping entrepreneurs because we never know where an idea will take us." Yeah. Wow. So, to this day, Y ninety four eighty five, which is the model number, <laughs> is you. <laughs> It's used on every traction pad. It sticks to stand-up paddles, surfboards, jet skis, boats, whatever. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So, they've, made, they've made millions by. So the that guy was guy your
1: That was your first entrepreneurial venture, right?
2: Right. Okay. Uh, so did you? Yeah.
1: You had a partner in that, or did you start yourself?
2: I started it by myself, and then um, I started growing pretty quickly, and I, I, I was. Working with a friend of mine picking up dead bodies for the coroner's office in Orange County. Shut you know? the front door. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Is there good money in that
0: or uh, you just thought it was intriguing?
2: Well, it was. It was wait, 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 wait,
1: wait, wait.
2: You picked up dead bodies.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. We like, drive around in Walmart suits in a van going to crime scenes and car accidents and drownings. And how did you, you find it. out about that? And because one of my friends who still to this day that's in Huntington has the contract for doing what's called first call work in uh, Orange County. And I grew up in Fountain Valley. Was it good money? It was okay money, but it allowed me to do that and also do the um, traction pads at the same time. It
0: probably wasn't but, like a set schedule, was it? Exactly. You just, no, just kind of like...
2: Work when I wanted. Yeah. That's, and, uh, that's not right. <laughs> that's it. You didn't
0: have to see the bodies, but they're already in bags, right? No, dude. Be they had to bag them, bro. Oh,
2: gnarly. It was, it was gnarly, but I'll tell you what. It, 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 for me, it changed the direction of my life because I knew then how fragile life really is and how people that I'm looking at and should not be dead that are building this career for something down the road that they're going to celebrate never get there. So that means every day, you really is what you have to focus on. Wow. And that's why I just... I told myself I'm only going to do what I love to do for the rest of my life, and I've been lucky enough that it, it worked out for me. Yeah, that's, man. You made, you manifested incredible. that. So, how
1: long was that? How long was track top and, and yeah? How long did you do that for?
2: Well, so I got um, I went to work also with a friend of mine that was a tile setter, a guy named Gary Ward, yeah. who I en- ended up selling track top to, um, and. I had met the two brothers that originally started Reef, Fernando and Santiago, at the trade shows, and they were having a little bit of trouble getting Reef going, so I helped them start Reef by getting all of my traction reps to sell their flip-flops for them. So when I sold out on Tracktop, they offered me an equity position to move down here to San Diego and be their national sales manager and help them build Reef. So I ran Reef with those two guys for like six years. We went from about $2 million to about $22 million. And, um, in Hold on. sales.
1: Back up, then. So, how 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 big did Tracktop become?
0: Um, yeah. What what dollar value?
2: I think at its peak, we were doing about six hundred thousand in sales. Okay. Which wasn't a lot, but it was enough to support myself and and Gary's families. What were you doing? What, um, what was
1: your role for for Tracktop? Were you, the, you you became a sales manager and?
2: No, no. For I mean. Gary was more out in the field working with the sales guys, and I was more on the back end just running things and going to the factories and keeping production going because at, at one point we stopped making it in our own backyard and we moved the production overseas to keep up with the demand.
1: Yeah.
2: And I started making traction pads for like Tony Finn who invented the sport of wakeboarding, you know, and all kinds of other guys too. So, um, the biz- business was not just in the surf community anymore.
0: Yeah. So yeah. What did Gary, what did Gary um, like? How did he come on board? You, you know, at that point. Well, because that's...
2: I was setting tile with him, and yeah. and he didn't want to be a tile setter his whole life, and his his dad decided that he would loan Gary some money to um, to buy into the company. So I sold Gary a piece of it, and he became a partner. So nice.
1: so Jk, you how many jobs did you have? Or were you doing? You were no, picking up dead track- bodies.
2: <laughs> no, at that point, after after Tracktop got up to you know, like 150 and Wait, you said you were tile-setting,
1: too? Or?
2: After, I was doing the tile-setting and the, the first call work yeah. for the coroner's office. Then I stopped doing the first call. I just doing the tile and then I'd come home and I'd manufacture the, the traction pads in my garage in Huntington and then uh, my girlfriend at the time that became my wife we'd sit in the living stapling header cards to the traction pads and the extra bedroom. I put shelves from home Depot and we'd just stack the stuff in there. Yeah. And then, um, well, that's the reason why,
1: the reason why, you know, I want to, um, I want to make sure people hear this is that that's really hard work. Like you were, you were not just trying to start a business, but you, you were also doing side hustles to help, you know, Pay Cash flow it. coming in and Yeah, pay for, it. for everything, yeah. right? Keep everything going. So it's you were just... tile setting and picking up dead bodies and <laughs> and being an entrepreneur making track calls. Yeah, well you know
0: you gotta make ends meet.
1: Yeah, that's insane. That's like something that you, you can't gloss over.
0: That's like that's the that's the real hustle yeah. right there. The American dream. You, know, yeah. you, you 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 put in what you you know you want out and that's yeah. Hundred percent commitment, right there. So you, you you track top you and Gary Ward. How
1: long did that last, and then then you just you sold it to? Yeah, how long?
2: I sold it to to Gary. I had um, I had this other invention that I I had a a child, and then I had um, through having a kid and traveling, and I realized how lame like the travel stuff is for kids. So I had a couple other inventions I wanted to do, and so when I sold the business. The reef guys called me and I told them no at first but then I was like shit they kept calling me and I so I made them a counter offer just to see if they'd take it and they took it so I was like oh, shit So <laughs> <laughs> I ended good up problem driving from uh, I had a house in San Clemente at the time I was driving to National City where they were located every day for about a year and then after it worked out I said okay we're going to we're going to move down to um, North County San Diego so I moved here in 91 I've been here since, and even though my family still all on Huntington. As you guys know, Doc, yeah. surf prescriptions, married to my sister. So yeah. my mom, whole family, my roots are still in HB. But uh, I've been in, in San Diego where my dad was actually born since 91. Uh, so uh, so,
1: nice. so Reef, Fernando, and I forget the other guy's name. So they Okay, and they, they said, hey, we want you to be the sales manager for Reef
2: yeah, and they gave me a piece of equity to move. and and then I bought uh, their previous sales manager had five percent. I bought his five percent. So I had a nice little chunk of it. And then um, you know, after we got to about twenty two mil, you know I started thinking I wanted to go do some other stuff again. So they ended up buying me out. and um, I took about a year off and just kind of goofed around and then decided I was really missed being in the industry. And I was always a weird footwear guy myself. I was—I used to make sand back in Huntington or Fountain Valley for my friends out of like tires and stuff. And uh, I knew—I knew everyone in the industry from track top and then being with Reef. And I knew if I started my own flip-flop company, that guys are at least giving me a try. So um, I decided to get back in the industry. It took about six months making phone calls to reps I knew and a couple of investors and. Decided to uh, to launch some Nook footwear and do something that nobody else was doing. And stuff like this, which is not to there like this anymore, but <laughs> this was the original stuff back in the day. And um, I remember the first sandal I ever made on my first trip to the factory. So
1: for, for the listeners that don't see the, the video, he, he just put his uh, leopard skin sandal <laughs> on the table. <laughs> I love it. And now he's disappeared. I don't know where he short, went. Uh,
2: I, I just turned the heaters on and the patio. Okay. It's cold. You're sitting out outside, and it's raining here. So uh, just started drizzling here, but I've got heaters, so it's no big deal. So, so um, you
1: just, you started Sunook, and how did you come up with Sunook? So what's what, what, the what's what the meaning year? behind Sunook?
2: So, slow down, Lennon, Slow down. Wait. What year did you start it? I registered the name in December of '97, but it took me most of '98 to put a team together and a, a late product launch to, to hit at summer, which is really when things are ending. Um, I'd say '99 was the first real year with a collection where I actually got to go to trade shows and pre-book orders and do that type of thing. But um, you know, I was looking for something positive in in the name, and "sinuk" is the the type of word that means fun. Um, and in, it was in Thai, in Thai, okay. and it was a name that I could register globally because I knew I wanted the business to be a global business, um, and that's why you know you have all these crazy names like Ruka and Volcom, and you know trying to find a name that isn't taken somewhere right. is almost impossible. So um, I was lucky what, to be able to use Sanook.
0: What what other names were on the chopping block for uh, the sandal
2: business? Ah, oh, God, there weren't really too many. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to call it. And then when I, a friend of mine that made jewelry, knockoff jewelry stuff, he, um, he had the name Sanook stamped inside his rings that he was selling to Home Shopping Network and he had never registered it, but he needed something in case they sent back product that was returned. He needed to know it was his. So I asked him what that meant and he goes, oh, it means fun and Thai, which is where I'm making most of these rings. And I said, "Hey, that's a perfect name for my sandal company. If you wouldn't mind me using," he goes, "I don't really use the name, so so you should do it." So I looked it wow. up and that got started.
0: Yeah, I I've, I've heard the meaning, or I, I remember the meaning. Yeah, happiness and balance, or you know, just good times, or something like that. So yep.
1: so I hate to bring this up, but. What did your friends at Reef think?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 compete, clause. Um, well,
2: you, I didn't, wasn't you really didn't call doing, for investment. I wasn't doing what normal people were doing, like, you know, the other real first sample that I launched the company with was made out of indoor outdoor carpet, which is what people use in trailer parks as their lawn, and I promoted it as trailer trash. Oh, I love it. And, I, and so I remember first
1: was, see, I remember seeing the first ones, and I was just like, what the hell?
2: For this real? is
1: amazing.
2: The very that's actually a really funny story because I, I came from the airport. I left my car at my sister's house in Huntington and I came from LAX with the very first green carpet sandal. I was like, I gotta show this to Bobby at Jack's. And then this is was my first sandal, right? And I showed it to him. I remember the look on his face, like he looked at me and he felt really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he and he said, Is that for real? And I was like, I like the sandal. And, and then one of the kids behind his counter was like, Oh my god, let me see that. That's the sickest sandal I've ever seen. And he turned, he looked at the kid, he's like, Okay, whatever.
0: So Bobby, Bobby from Paul Jax
1: gave you the, the name for the uh the first Sanook sandal.
2: That's how it got its name.
1: Oh my, my god.
2: It, uh, he asked that is it.
1: insane.
0: That is so good. Uh, <laughs> and it was literally an Like you took the what we would call kind of almost like an AstroTurf, like outdoor, like grass.
2: And we made little miniature Airstreams as a POP, and we put the sandal in front of it to make it look like it was the yard. And the odd thing was the surf industry didn't get it at all. But at that point, Diesel and all the fashion brands were promoting this trailer trash sort of lifestyle. So stores like Fred Siegel and Louis Boston and Neiman Marcus all picked up the brand. And next thing I know it's on Brad Pitt and all these guys who are getting photos in magazines next thing I mean, urban outfitters and it kind of threw that into all the surf shops and it wasn't a high volume product but the guy that doesn't follow the trends more the guy that sets the trends yeah is buying the brand and then the vacuum <clears throat> effect of our regular stuff followed in behind that yeah. how did you how did you find like somebody for for production prove something that was so non
0: traditional like Like that was just super unique sandal. Like who, where did you go to get it made?
2: (laughs) Well, I was in the factory working on just kind of basic stuff. And there was a roll of it sitting over on the side. And the factory I was in had these molded footbeds that kind of were contoured like a Birkenstock. So I asked them if I could have a piece of the material and I cut a square of it and I put some glue on it and just formed it around it and actually wrapped the sides and then stuck a bottom on it. So it looked different from what everybody else was doing out there. And I really liked how it looked, so um, sort of formed a brand around that.
1: Well, I, I so. remember I used to do the buying, right, at, at Huntington Surf and Sport, and oh, sandals, there, was, so, sandals were, were under my uh, <laughs> my uh, duties. And and I remember when Sanuk – because you remember how, how in that corner right before the surfboard room, that's where all the sandals kind of were?
0: Yeah, I remember it was, a, we, it was the hallway to the surf, the safari room. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But I remember like okay, we're going to bring in Sanook cuz back then, you know, the field wasn't the comp- competitive set wasn't that gnarly, right? It was it was Reef, it was Flohos, it was Rainbow, it was Tiva, and that's pretty much it.
2: That's all there was, really. Yeah,
1: and then and then Sanook came in just like it, you you took uh A boring category that was like not,
2: you know,
0: glamorous or anything. But you—it
2: wasn't wasn't really fashion forward. We were we were the first brand that did novelty flip flops, really. Yeah, and then it kind of opened up the door for for everybody to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, because you,
0: me, I only see your ear. There you (laughs) go. What, what are you leaning it's, over for? You don't. Why well, put the camera
1: on the other thing? So uh, that's why I'm looking yeah. this way.
0: Good.
1: You've seen so, you, you know you know what I look like, bro. <laughs> so so um, Sanook.
2: So yeah, so with you, the brand, I you know the brand was different. So in the branding, I wanted that to be different too. And you know everybody seemed to be into this whole competitive thing. You know, Reef had all the pros on the tour and. The tour was really what was driving the sales and all the brands, but that wasn't really me. And so, you know, I I approached Donovan when I first started Sanook, even before I had a Sanook checking account. Mr. Hipster? uh, Because I I was giving him traction pads back in the day, and he just cut a deal with Billabong to be a non-competitive surfer, but have a sponsorship and travel around the world and do what everybody really wanted to do. Yeah. So I hooked up Donovan, and then I got a hold of Rostovich because he was the same sort of guy in Australia yeah. and we built a brand about being more about almost a Stussy vibe uh, for the bros, not the pros Yeah. kind of thing and um, it was really good at the time because surfing was going through a transition you know back in the day when I surfed hardly anybody's dad surfed but right. now you know I've got my son that we surf together all the time we go on surf trips and nobody was really addressing this change. In the, in the industry where it was okay to hang with your dad and surf with your dad. Your dad's driving you to Mexico and taking you to Indonesia. And, uh, so was a, was a footwear brand that it was cool if your dad was wearing them and you were wearing them too. Yeah. Nice. So it was, it was fun to position it that way.
0: So the early days, I mean, I mean, it was, you came out with how many models out of the gate, you know, and this, there was not that
2: many. Yeah, so it was, we kept it tight and, um, the the brand really didn't blow up until I um, invented the sidewalk surfer, which was the the shoe that, that was on top of a sandal footnet. yeah And um, I don't know, was... man.
1: You you like took the world by storm with the you know with the astroturf stuff, and then the leopard skin stuff, and then when women's business was blowing up, you had you, you had did, the best yeah. women's um, like the sandals. kind of
0: poncho covered. You know, yeah. Sandals. Yeah. We were using all
2: kinds of crazy the,
1: materials. I remember the white Velcro, uh, slides.
2: Yeah. The, well, it was the one we called the wired footbed. Looked like spaghetti. Yeah. But yeah. I had a patent on that. And, uh, what happened was I was in Taiwan and I got off the plane and went to get into a cab. I was wearing flip flops. It was raining. I stepped in a puddle and when I got in the cab, I kicked my flip flops off and I started wiping my feet off on his floor mats in the back. And it was that material that felt really good on my foot. So I, <laughs> I bought his floor mats from him and I took him to the factory and cut them, and made footbeds. I was like, yes, this feels amazing. And uh, I was able to get a patent on it and it became, that wired footbed became our best selling flip flop. Um, oh, was please. 60% of our sales was on that footbed. And then I got knocked off by Walmart, which killed my sales because no one wearing Snook wanted to look like a Walmart shopper. Right. Um, how did, sued, how did they work around your, your
0: patent or infringement? They,
2: they said that one of their vendors sold it to them and didn't tell them. But by then, my sales went from 60% to 10% of my volume. So I sued them and um, ended up cutting a deal to license the patent to them. And I think the first year, they sold 4 million pairs, which I made more money on the licensing <laughs> than I
0: would have made it Smart. <laughs> <My, laughs> hey, you know. Sometimes it's not always going blow for blow. It's about compromising. It is,
2: for sure. Um, but the That's real turn, turning point was the shoe because flip-flops were very seasonal. And once I had an enclosed footwear, it uh, it made us year-round. But the cool thing was um, I had surfed in the or gone running in Cardiff. My office was in Cardiff on the stairs in the morning in my New Balance shoes. And then that afternoon I ran down to go surf. When I went back up barefoot the range of motion was so much more efficient having that flexibility as anyone knows it goes upstairs barefoot versus having shoes isolates those toe muscles and it's much more work on your quads to go in shoes versus barefoot so I thought to myself sandals are made without a stitch downboard so they're more flexible if I could put a shoe upper on a sandal bottom I would get the same feeling I had barefoot so Happened to be in the factory a few weeks later, and I took my best-selling flip-flop, which was a lazy boy at the time, and just cut grooves around it, and sewed an upper there that had tabs, and took forceps and pulled the tabs through on the bottom, flipped them over, stuck a bottom on it, and walked around the factory, and I knew instantly that I was onto something that was incredible, because I could feel everything on the floor, and my foot was moving the way it would naturally. And that's how the whole natural foot motion thing started, was through that shoe. Nike, what? all of that stuff followed us afterwards when we talked about um, how allowing your foot to do it. It was designed to do, strengthened your foot. And then through a friend of mine that was a rock climber, he got the shoes that the top rock climbers, Chris Sharma, Daniel Woods, all those guys started wearing my shoes and taking them as approach shoes. And the outdoor community, especially the climbers, which was this new industry that was coming up, really jumped on the thing. So we got into REI and then Sunuk became like an outdoor brand too. But the shoes were very comfortable and the range of motion being barefoot is something that strengthened your foot. So through that, Nike and everybody else took w- note of what was happening and everybody started developing shoes that had a range of motion that was natural. But so, the Sidewalk Surfer was the original version of that.
1: Bro, you created the <laughs> hanging footwear category <laughs> by, by running down to the beach to go surf and then going back upstairs, you had epiphany and said, Wow, I need that... to create a shoe that's made that <laughs> a sandal that's not a shoe. Or a shoe yeah, this, that's not this a sandal. It's not a
2: shoe, it's a sandal. The hanging thing actually happened when I was at Reef because back in those days, the stores weren't making any money with flip-flops. They were in a basket on the floor. And you had to search the basket to find your size and we had the idea to, to, to take a greeting card holder and make the pockets big enough to fit flip-flops in and so at reef we developed the first floor rack that could be put in a corner and when you walked in because sandals were an impulse buy anyway seventy percent of sales in flip-flops where something you were going in to buy something else, and then you impulse the impulse got you to buy your flip thumps. So, by getting them off the floor, we were able to get the, the um, impulse buy to go through the roof, and we could spin the racks but could be put in a corner so it didn't take up much room. So, I knew when I developed shoes, I didn't want to have to wait for some kid to go in the back and try to find your size, that I could put them on the floor in a hanging sort of way, that it would be much easier and we'd sell a lot more. And that was the first hanging enclosed footwear that was put on the market. And then yeah, that was a
0: game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right there. I mean, Vans right. followed you after that,
1: right?
2: Uh it was first it was Blake at Tom's. He came into my booth. Oh. And uh, Blake's a buddy of mine, and he's like, JK, would would you be bummed if we did this too? I was like, no way, bro, you should do it. <laughs> because they were a different category than I yeah. was. And then he did it, then Vans. You know, brought their whole crew into into my booth at Action Sports, and they're like, Well, wow, this is really cool! Yeah, we should maybe hang our shoes." Then they did a complete blatant rip up of Sanook. Yeah, and uh, you know, I didn't ever think they would do that, but they did. But anyway, did, did
0: you also uh, patent that uh, sidewalk surfer too? Or that yeah, I concept? did.
2: Um, the construction is patented. The yeah. look has been knocked off by everybody, but the actual construction of it being on a flip-flop the way that we did it so that it's as flexible as it is it can only be done by uh Sinuk. that's amazing wow Dude. so many so many technical like
0: achievements but yet like practical and functional it's crazy so that's, it's
2: just about solving problems
1: so one of the cool things that larson kind of put up in the in some of his questions the marketing for sanuk was pretty new and adventurous <laughs> and like it was it was it was like very zen, head you know?
0: but like in a fun way. Like it was
2: so random because everybody had got into this thing that you had to have this ad campaign that was a consistent one. And um we did our part- our shoes and sandals were completely out there, so we decided to do our ads the same way. Literally, like two or three days before deadline, I'd go to happy hour with Marty Thomas and you know whoever was around, and we'd draw up a concept on a napkin, and who didn't put it together? Lars, you were in a few of those that were just classic. Oh, so uh, much fun. Our our theme was really to be like not a theme. Yeah. So people would just... Anxious to see what did those guys do this month? From a naked fat guy on a stool with a little cow, <laughs> you know, to two kids cow tipping, and you know, was like, well, the, was those for some fun. It's, days. it's
0: yeah, kind of, kind of shock, shock, shock value. Intro. Yeah, for
2: smile,
1: sure. pass it on, though. That has, that's probably one of the best uh, campaigns, slogans, taglines. That's ever come out of the action sports industry, don't you think? Yeah,
0: it's it's almost like a Gumby like head with a big yeah. smiley face. Uh, it's
2: classic. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, the uh, we call we call that guy Happy You because he's the you in Sanook. and he's sort of the Henry uh, prankster icon of the brand. <laughs>
1: Happy you. So how long how long was that run with Sanook?
2: Um, I sold it to Deckers. 2011. Right. Yes, right in that zone. So,
1: so you started in '97 and sold it in 2011.
2: Yeah, right. and then I stayed on for uh, for three years with them, under contract afterwards.
1: Was it a cha-ching moment?
2: Uh it was pretty. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I I I like I don't really look back um, that often. You know, I. Someone told me once, and I truly believe that your rearview mirror is much smaller than your windshield for a reason. Yeah, and, um, I like I that. I feel like if, if, if I've done something, I, I like going on to the next challenge. Yeah. And Which, uh, hey, that's that's great. It's, yeah. it's
1: crazy because, you know, all my life, when I was growing up, when you start a business, right, you think, okay, I'm going to start a business and keep it and try to have it forever. Right. But then that's one philosophy and one, you know,
0: strategy. Yeah, like a, like a, like a family business you're going to pass on to your, your yeah. future generations, like something, you know, in right. that lines.
1: Yeah. But you
2: JK, you're a serial
1: entrepreneur, right? So
2: <laughs> I think it's more ADD and I get bored <laughs> quick. So when, when, you know, when you
1: started track top, you're like, you know, you never thought you would like ever stop doing it,
0: right? And then when you start in Sanook, you're like, you know, you you you, you, you never know what the, the road ahead of you lay, you know, like lays in front of you, and you, you hit a crossroad or you just, you know, like yeah, you and <laughs> you move on. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I always felt like I don't know, like like Sunuk was always going to be successful, but if it wasn't, that I could always fall back on a sales manager job at one of the big brands that, you know, I knew everybody from being in the industry and it was such a small industry at the time that I never really worried about being able to provide for my family. And Sunuk just ended up working out pretty well for myself and the partners that I had in it. Yeah. At, what, yeah. at, at its high point, how many, how many employees and like people
0: did you did you have under the Sunuk?
2: So we had a, a license in the U S Canada and Europe with, uh a company called CNC, which were Dak and Paul. Mm, they yeah. took care of all the warehouse, shipping, customer service, and um, you know we really couldn't have grown to the size that we were without the infrastructure that those guys provided. Um, but with with their infrastructure, which was about 150 people, um, and then the international business because we were in 64 countries, it was probably a total of <coughs> 350 people. Damn. Wow. Our sales meetings were, were pretty large. We didn't have obviously the warehouse crew there, but you know we'd have a hundred and something people at our sales meetings.
0: It's you know, insane.
2: It was a big deal. It was it was weird, but it was still felt like a small family.
0: Yeah. So. Well, you, you surrounded yourself with always good people. Like every, you know, when I was writing for you guys for for a few years, like I loved coming in the office because everybody there surf everybody there we knew and respected and, and, and it was just a fun fun atmosphere
2: you know I, I learned that if you hire somebody who's passionate versus maybe somebody who might be a little more book smart about something yeah the person with the passion tends to <clears throat> to, to do the best things for for themselves and for your brand
1: amen yeah. Amen. amen yeah that's the yeah, three of us.
0: Um, I, I wanted to. Do, I didn't write this down, but this is a little side note. Um, you were living down in San Diego. I was writing for you. I was writing for you know, Doc, and we were invited down to come to a concert with you. And you're like, <laughs> I got backstage passes. I'm bringing the RV. We're gonna pre-party. You guys want to come down? And I'm like, sure. What what concert? in sync i'm like wait what <laughs> in sync
1: just wait who's that justin bieber
0: <laughs> no i before him dude <laughs> and uh i was just dating my wife at the time and i i told her and she's like um i'm not really in the boy bands but you know <laughs> It'll if be we got fun. Front, front row seats, it'll be fun. And I, I, told him, I'm like, yeah, we're gonna have. It's gonna be all dialed. I just remember crushing some bottles of wine <laughs> and I, in in the RV in the backstage. And I never ever thought my wildest dreams that like, I would have smelled as much weed at, at an insane concert. Hold on, Lars. Hold
2: on, he's gotta listen <laughs> to this. I got a technical difficulty with the rain here.
1: It's starting to pour down there, huh?
2: It just started jumping.
1: You guys want to take a pause?
0: No. All right. (laughs) I need a couple of those uh, little awning-like things right there. Yeah, you do. Woo-hoo! There we go. Are you wet?
1: So, so, Larry, you got to go back and talk about... uh, how much weed so, you
0: smoked? Oh, I don't remember. But that was, was so funny. Dude. We, we went we
2: backstage. Were... Those guys were getting massages backstage. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: it was incredible. It was a again. I wasn't into the music, although you know, Insane did rock. It, the, the the what the production they put on at those concerts was incredible. I've never seen anything like it in my entire it, life.
2: It was at Qualcomm Stadium, and it was incredible. My, just so they know, I took my daughter and her, all of her friends, so we didn't just go. To
0: go. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun, though.
1: All right, so you decided to sell 2011 to Deckers, and you stayed on for a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay, and then and then what happened after that? Um, you travel.
2: No, nah, yeah, I did. I mean, I I always travel. I, I took some time off, you know, did the mentalized trips, you know, all that kind of stuff, and then um, I was approached by um, Hold on, Kira. mentalized? Yeah, mentalized. I actually went there in what ninety seven with Marty Thomas and Ricky Irons and. Um, a crew of our boys and we were the only boat in the entire island chain. Wow. We, woke up, wow we took off from Padang and we woke up at Macaroni's we surfed for four days by ourselves and Another boat was coming up from Australia and they radioed our captain and said hey I know you guys are there, but my boys would really like to surf But if you're gonna stay we'll go somewhere else. So that night at dinner the captain's like hey guys We've been here four days. We should take off and let them go tomorrow. They're gonna pull in in the afternoon They pulled in the afternoon and just came over and they're going to shore boat and videotaped us. Didn't even go out because we were there first, which doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. Wow. And, uh, then we ended up drinking, because they're Aussies, drinking every beer I think we had on the boat that night. <laughs> of
0: course. It, anybody you knew, uh, like, uh, surfer-wise? or nah, just, just, just,
2: random? just a bunch of really super cool Aussies. As you That's do. cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice.
0: So
1: so you went traveling. Um, how long were you kept on for Sanook after Decker's buy,
2: uh, two years under contract, and then a third year, because um, they they asked me just to stay for some other transition stuff they were doing. And then what? And then what'd you do? Then um, then I was approached by um, P. Rod and the guys that started uh, Saint Archer Beer in San Diego. Okay. To to invest in that, which um, you know we yeah, had
1: Josh on, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh. Josh. Great and, story and, too. Paul Rodriguez came here and there's sitting in my kitchen, and my son's a hardcore skateboarder. Who just happened to drop by and he walks in, his jaw drops. He's like,
0: What the hell is
2: <laughs> happening right now? What the hell's is Rod doing on of room? But I told Landon, I'm like, Dude, I'm in, I love the idea, but if the beer sucks, I'm out because there's, you know, there's like the, the Tahitian beer, I and like all these beers that I've got in the Hawaiian beers and that are great brands, but Terrible tasting beer, yeah. but they killed it. The beer was amazing. They did a, a fantastic job of bringing our culture, for the first time, tying the uh, action sports culture to a beer brand. And um, how, how did how did you guys
1: link up? Who
2: so, what was the common uh, denominator? I didn't, I didn't know Josh at the time, but we have a common friend, Thaddeus Benchoof. If you know Thad, no, he's a he's a Newport guy. Okay, um, and they were looking to raise money, and I had. You know, experience in branding and action sports um, and I had some money to invest so they were trying to put together a team of guys that actually got it you know that that, that were like-minded yeah and um, so I got involved uh, basically almost from day one with those guys and you know we several years later, not even that many years later we ended up having a nice exit with Miller Coors and Josh Kerr was a partner in that business with us and Kersey and our are good buddies, so um, Josh and Fanning and Parco and them almost took kind of what we were doing with St. Archer, but um, rolled over into Australia because Australia didn't have a micro culture <coughs> happening, Yeah, and we started Balter Beer in Australia, um, but didn't really go after the, the action sports class, it's more the working man's beer, which for us over there, that brand positioning was much better than trying to do an action sports based brand and um, so we were just re- recently per- purchased this year and um, after four years at it. <laughs> wow. What quick turnarounds. <laughs> well, we're all, we all stayed on for the and outs because we really believe that the brand has huge potential for growth.
1: Can, so, can Larson and I like hang out with you all the time so we can kind of glean some of this. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I have. 18 dollars and 38 cents to invest can
1: you, can you me up? yeah uh you 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 have I got what to
0: manage my money you've Maybe got
1: not. you've got the midas touch it's the jeff kelly midas touch i
2: don't know i've just been really fortunate to be involved with really good people that have a lot of passion for what they're doing and you know i think that's the driving factor in everything that not only I've started but got involved in that other people have headed up like Landon did and like you know the guys in Australia are doing that just really good solid people that that, uh, that you can trust
1: yeah Yeah, um, yeah I we, what I'm pretty sure you know Scott Vander right?
0: right yeah Vander
1: yeah so like you you and uh, Vander kind of remind me a lot of each other just like
0: On the Pulse. On the Pulse,
1: undercover, gangster, and and entrepreneurs. You know, both (laughs) of you guys have have, have, uh, success stories up the yin-yang, and I really hate it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How's how's the um, coming from apparel, footwear, you know, kind of action sports industry into the beverage industry? Like what are the – is there any similarities, any differences that, you know, you know, obviously marketing is key, having good product is key, but just you know, basic distribution and like, yeah, I don't know, like day to day.
2: So for me, what I, I think is really important for anyone that is trying to get involved in something is that you create your own space no matter what it is that you're trying to do, whether it be clothing, beer, shoes, if you don't create your own space, yep. you're gonna have to compete on price. And when you do those things, like we did with track top, like we did with Sanook, like um, Landon and and P. rock and Mikey Taylor, those guys did with the uh, the beer, you know, and like we've done with Falter, you have the ability to get way out in front, and when other people come in on your coattails, it actually helps you move forward. Huh. And yeah, uh, that's great know, advice. That's, that's the most it, important thing to do when you are creating something is is. He's the only one. Find the niche. Well, yep. that's what, you know, in
0: our industry, outside of, you know, say a, a Ruka or a lifestyle brand, you know, the the, the the brands that seem to be or have been really successful, or they found that niche, like you're saying, whether it's Nixon that it just went after watches and did it really well, or, or like Herschel and they just did backpacks and they did it really well, or you know, slow tie that did towels, you know, beach towels and, you know, stance with socks. You look at, you know, these different kind of categories that really weren't, nobody really tackled. It was this kind of like everybody dabbled in, but nobody really took it serious. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I like that. I like that, uh, expression, create your own space. Cause really you're, you're, you're not reinventing a wheel per se. But you're creating a different wheel, creating your own space.
2: Exactly. Right? And even if your wheel is similar, if you project a brand image for it that's different from other people, um, you know, that can be really useful as well.
0: So So you're you're saying you guys, um, you, you do these uh, mentoring-like events, or is that something you're in charge of or part of a, a bigger group?
2: It's called SDSI. Uh, okay. Bob Reef, who used to work with me, is is heading that up. Uh, Bill Walton, the basketball player, is oh, wow. part of it. Oh, wow. Throw so it down, big guy. So they're, they're, they bring entrepreneurs and successful people in and mix them with people that are trying to start their own businesses. You know, sometimes people invest in those new businesses, but mostly to mentor those businesses and help them, you know, get out and, and maybe avoid some of the mistakes that we made. Yeah. yeah. And, um, get them involved with people that can help them get where they're going without hitting so many speed bumps
1: have you done this a couple times or uh, is there... yeah, well,
2: I've, I've attended them you know and I like I brought Bob McKnight down he spoke at our our deal obviously Hurley has just recently come like I said earlier um, but it's really good to hear those guys stories from the beginning yeah, for, yeah. Uh, for entrepreneurs that you know everybody thinks it's so hard to start a business but you know, we all started our businesses from the garage and sometimes yeah. that's all it takes is just a belief and you don't need a, an army to get things going yeah you can start small and grow if you're doing it right
0: do, do you still feel like in this and you know in this day and age that it's it's kind of you know easier or harder or kind of that, that same philosophy of like good well, idea within,
2: action, within, timing? The, within the surf the action sports culture it's completely different than it used to be and you know, in my opinion, it happened when the first companies like Quick started going public. Yeah. And and what happened was, I remember stores. I wasn't in the clothing space, so it wasn't as it wasn't affecting me as much. But if you were a young brand like Aruka coming up, and you weren't public, and Quicksilver was going, hey, we're going to build out half this shop, and we're going to cover all the expenses, and whatever doesn't sell, we're going to take back. You're, as a retailer, basically now a consignment shop with no risk. And now yep. Luca, a creative radical comes in and wants to sell product to that same store. And the store goes, well, why should I buy your product unless you're going to take it all back? Yep. And it made it really hard for the creative young brands that constantly turned over and made things fresh to succeed in the industry. And everything started looking, to me, the same because – the shops became a consignment center yeah. and yep. not a surf shop. When, when I was first starting with, with Sanook, I remember a store owner, you try to tell him what you should buy and he'd look at you and, and the store owner was the buyer. He'd go, you sit behind this counter eight hours a day and see the customers that come in here. You think you know my customer better than I do? I will tell you what will sell in my shop and you will listen.
0: <laughs> I still get that today. It is not like today. <laughs> I love all my shop
2: buyers and owners. Uh, so anyway, that's, um, it's just three so big, you know, when, when Quick introduced Roxy and then Roxy brought the females in and then New York fashion in great hat, surfing became huge everywhere. And then, you yes. know, um, Hollister oh my became gosh. the largest surf shops in the world. I mean. Go figure! Yeah, yeah. Um, and who knows? Maybe that'll come full circle when we have wave pools everywhere. Hollister might become the most course surf shop. <laughs> <laughs> Speak,
1: speaking of wave pools, have you partaken
2: in wave pools? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I've surfed, uh, surfed Waco. Nice. Um, no, actually, that's the only one. I've had a chance to go to Kelly's, but I've been invited like three times, but haven't haven't been able to get up there.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to you got to get your butt up there. It's pretty pretty amazing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a surreal surreal wave for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm looking for a, a, a invite. Free, free invite. It stuff's too expensive for me. <laughs> what um on on the uh, like beverage side that you're into now, what's like what are the you got balt um,
2: Yeah, Altar. Walters Bal- Balter. you know, that's on autopilot and the guys in Australia do a really got, good job of running that but um, another one that I got involved in shortly after selling Sanook is a company called Vessel and we have global patents on a technology where we have a bottle cap and in our case we made a tea called Teapakine, where we brew the tea condense it put it in the cap we purge the oxygen replace it with nitrogen so it lives in a nitrogen environment which means you don't need preservatives to keep it fresh and then the bottle just has purified water. When you open the cap, it fires the tea into the water and fresh brews it, and all the antioxidants and things that are in there are at 100% potency as though you just brewed it. What? We, yeah, we put the tea out. I saw that on Shark Tank, didn't I? No. No? No, ours is a, is a pressurized in a nitrogen environment. There's been a few people that have had things that you twist and it drop, you pellet, you shake it, but ours mixes uh. instantly and stays fresh because of the nitrogen environment. But the the goal with this is to eventually license the technology to a lot of the beverage people so we can drastically reduce the plastic that's out there. So you can go to to work with a backpack full of caps and make a tea or an antioxidant drink or a Gatorade or whatever. And then also um, to be able to get things like home cleaners and big bottles of things that you would currently, for instance, say, need 24 semi-trucks to deliver to grocery stores. Right. We hope to condense down to one truck with small pods that people will take home and fasten to a bottle and make their own larger cleaners and things. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it reduces the carbon footprint dramatically when you consider all the fuel, trucking, and all the plastics. Yeah, so that's really the end goal with this vessel. Company more so than just the beverages.
0: Yeah, uh, it's to try to reduce reduce waste. That's that's really incredible. um It like do you see yourself like I mean in that line of business with like the beverage as like where you're gonna like stay put or would you ever get back in the surf industry?
2: uh I mean,
0: I if they, I got a co- <laughs> I got a
2: <laughs> I got a couple things I'm working on right now that I can't tell you about, but when I when I come out with it. We'll I'll... get you
0: back on the show for those.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll get back on the show when I come out with it. <laughs> but it's not surf related. Nice. All right. That's cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I um, I was just reading an article. You know, we're all in lockdown, right? This last like 30 days or whatever and we're going stir crazy. But um I was just reading an online article about alcohol and, you know, coffee and... Marijuana sales have all just gone through the roof this last like, you know, 30 days. Shocker! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your your beverage holdings got to be doing really well right now. They are.
2: their beverages are doing really well. Um, <laughs> actually, here, let me let me get a beverage so I can join you guys.
0: Nice, Landon. What do you got? Mar- margarita. An empty margarita glass. <laughs>
2: It's a shameless plug for one of my boys that's on our uh, our mentoring group. Oh, Taylor's Beals Salento organic tequila. Oh, this is Taylor's brand,
0: huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. Hold that up again. One more time. Boom. Salento. Taylor
2: Taylor Rob myself. Thaddeus, Ernie Hahn, a bunch of boys are in a what we call our men's club. It's it's Hey, Larson and I want to be in the men's club. You guys should be in the men's club. It's uh, (laughs) we meet once a month, and uh, it's just the men. And we go to dinner somewhere, and uh, and we talk. And lately, we've been. um, You have our numbers now, bro.
1: You have (laughs) our numbers now. We're in.
0: <laughs> what's the membership? <laughs> what's the what's pick the dues? Pick up the bill.
2: Pick up the bill at the at the restaurant. <laughs> Everybody does that, but it goes through rotation, so you get a lot of free meals out of it too.
0: Sick, sick. We're down. That's awesome. Well, those are a lot of good humans to be surrounded by, and you know, again, you know, most of those guys have uh, done what you've done. You know, um, have invested well and helped get into uh, some great opportunities and some brands and companies. So what yeah.
1: uh, what advice do you have for our listeners and future entrepreneurs?
2: Well, again, I mean it's it's things that I've said. It's it's first of all, you've got to have passion for what you're doing, and secondly, make sure that you create a space that only you exist in.
1: Create your own before space before you go forward. Yeah,
2: and and surround yourself with people that also have passion. Don't don't just take money from people that because they have it yeah because they could they could make your life miserable later
0: yeah yeah be on the same wavelength be on the same uh, same angle mm. how is that is that tequila amazing or what
1: smooth
2: all three are fantastic this is the blanco <laughs> that we're currently enjoying
1: <laughs> so you guys have three different uh, flavors
2: yeah well the. Añejo, the Reposado, and the Blanco. Oh, nice! That's a lot of brands.
1: Now I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> it is Good Friday. It is Taylor Good Friday.
2: Would, Taylor would be amazing for you guys to have on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get him on. Tell him. Uh, tell him he's next.
2: I will do that for you. Yeah. Yeah, when he's
0: not surfing lowers every day. Well, he can't surf lowers now, so we got oh, him. I know
1: that. <laughs> Usually, he's on it. So what's your take on all of this uh, shit that's going on?
2: It's, uh, it's interesting for me because my girlfriend that lives with me here um, is an anchor on Fox 5 here in San Diego. So poor her, she has to sit there and talk about it all day.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you're the, <laughs> so, you're the ear.
2: And so when, when, when it's weekends, we've been jumping in my sprinter van. I have a, kind of an off-road van. And heading out to the middle of nowhere in the desert and building a fire and being under the stars and unplugging from any kind of television oh, just to beautiful. try to get things back in balance. <laughs>
1: that sounds amazing.
2: Yeah. I think you gotta find balance. You know, you can't sit there in front of the T V all day. Yeah.
0: Nope. Yeah. And and just use common sense and, and just be practical. Yeah. Well shoot. Well, Yeah, this has been amazing. You know, like yeah, J.K. I I I, want to get you back on when you when you got more stuff to reveal for sure. I mean, so you have two other projects, J.K.
2: What's that?
1: You have two other uh, irons in the fire.
2: No, I have like twenty. Oh what?
1: (laughs) Well, hey,
2: I've got a beef jerky factory. (laughs) 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 What? Don't you know jerky is one of the fastest growing food categories in the world right now? Bro, Bro I'm down. Me, me and Lyndon have always been fans of that,
0: dude. Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, honestly, if you need a podcast uh, platform that that needs that you need to have a uh, be a spokesperson for, for dude, where where your where your uh, where your podcast?
2: All right. Well, you guys are HB homies from back in the day. Yeah. I remember when, when you had sand in your diapers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Still got sand in. Those Linden's places. really
0: close back to wearing uh, diapers again. <laughs> <laughs> that old fart. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, J.K., yeah. thank you yeah. so much for uh, sitting down with us. This has been super fun. Um, your inspiration to us. And I'm sure the people that uh, listen to this podcast are going to be super stoked on on your story and, and some of the insight you've given us today. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's pretty rad that we're, we we always, uh, you know, we promote education and, and to further education, you know, our kids for sure and, and everyone else's kids, they need to go to college and, and get as much... Uh, Under their belt, but when when we when we interview people that are like us, that are you know barely high school dudes, but have the you know guys like us that have like well guys like you that have incredible success with a high school degree, it's pretty rad.
0: Well, it does just because you don't have that degree doesn't doesn't mean you're not smart or doesn't mean you're not um, committed to to be successful. It's just it's about passion
1: and working hard.
0: Everybody carves their own path and, and there's those yeah. that, that go the college route, which, hey, if you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor, or some profession that needs to have that title, but if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, it's it's trial and error and keep going after your dream.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when when a lot of kids get out of high school and they go to college, they haven't really experienced many things in their lives and they're, for them to be able to choose a career and then stay with it from high school into college? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I think it should probably take a year or two off, go see the world, experience some things, find out what interests them, and then get back into college and study hard at something that you really want to be part of. Yeah,
0: well, Yeah, I like uh, one of your quotes I have here, um, and it's from a, an article that you did, an interview. It says, uh, you know, there are so many people out there getting degrees, but... They need people without degrees to employ them. <laughs> wow! You said that, I'm J.K. In trouble, and I and I and I thought that was pretty, um, pretty honest. But uh, dude, oh, that's insane. <laughs> Hats off well, to you, buddy. Yeah. Hey,
1: wait a minute. What? Larson uh, dug up something. Said that your nickname was Fiddler.
2: The fiddler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tell tell <laughs> us about it. that before well, we go. Because ever since I was a kid, I was always tinkering with something or building something or making things. And um, at Sanook, I think it was my sales rep Steve Yinger started referring to me as the fiddler, and then didn't take long for Sam Lovell and everybody else to jump oh, on board man. and start referring to me as the fiddler. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like my my initials J K. Nobody growing up from from till I was in in the industry, called me JK, but PT, because Ozzy's nickname everybody, Yeah. only called me JK, and he's the one that introduced me to almost everybody in the industry, and he introduced me as JK. So, so I went from being Jeff Kelly to JK, thanks to him. That's awesome. <laughs> that's PT cool. is the
1: Kevin Bacon of the surf industry. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, shoot.
0: Yeah, thanks, bud.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Alright, boys. Jeff Kelly yeah.
1: from... from Fountain Valley starting uh starting the the adhesive freaking, the first Checked person on. to come up with adhesive stick on grip for surfing which revolutionized surfing to what? To Sanook? To, to to picking Sanuk? up dead bodies <laughs> 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 to to starting Sanook to start to, to investing and blowing up uh, Saint Archer, and then now Ashland and Harland and what's the tequila? Salento. This,
2: I'm not involved in Taylor's tequila, but but know, it's Taylor great. Robert, Robert
1: yeah. Wait, let me get one more photo of that. Ready, set, boom. Jk, thank you so much. Your inspiration, keep up the good work, and don't forget Late Night with Chalky for your next big <laughs> venture.
0: Thanks, All right, Jeff. All right. Love you. See you, buddy. Peace. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show.